Great to see you today. Happy Mother's Day. Obviously, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our moms. And I think for most of us, our moms are a major influence in our life, if not the major influence in our life. I would say that my mom was a major influence on my spiritual life. She was the one that took us to church. She was the one that taught us when we were at home and led us down a spiritual road. You know, you go to church and you hear about the Lord for an hour a week. But my mom, it was her that throughout the week would influence us to pray with us. I can remember when we were young, she'd sometimes read the Bible with us, things like that. You can never get enough as a kid. You can't really get that spiritual training from one hour a week on Sunday mornings. You just can't. If it wasn't for my mom and her daily influence in my life, I wouldn't have gotten it. So for my spiritual walk, you know, my mom made the biggest impact on my life there. And of course, in my life as a whole, she did. So Mother's Day is a very important day to celebrate and uh, the impact that our moms make on our lives. I think moms are the hardest working people in the world. My mom used to drive us everywhere. She had six kids driving this kid to this sporting event, this kid to this school event. It's just nonstop hard work. I don't know how she did it. When she was 24 years old, she had a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a baby. But I think 24 years old and having a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a baby, how does she do that? I'll never understand it. But I have a lot of respect for her because I don't think that's something I could ever accomplish. We're on a, a series called Unshakable, and we're studying through the book of Daniel and different things about his life. And today we're going to be talking about when you're asked to do the impossible. There are times that a boss comes in and he's saying, I need this done by this time. And you think, that's impossible. There's no way I'm going to get this done by this time. Maybe it's a situation where I just don't have the money to pull that off or I don't have the time, or I don't have the background to know how to do that. I just don't have the talent to do what you're asking. I don't have the right connections to pull off what you want. But in life, people sometimes expect you to do the impossible. That's what's happening with Daniel. In Daniel 2, 10 and 11, it says, nobody can do what you ask. What you're asking is impossible. We're going to look at a story with Daniel of him being asked to do the impossible. And we're going to see how did he handle it. Remember in the story, he was taken as a prisoner at the age of 15 to Babylon. By the time he's 85, he becomes second in command, you know, of the whole kingdom. But he starts off as a prisoner of war. So as he goes through life, you keep seeing him being tested in different areas of his life. And every time he's tested and he wins the test, he gets promoted In the world. So he wins a test over how did he deal with the change? You know, his whole world was turned upside down. Then there was a a peer pressure. Is he going to overcome peer pressure? And what you see him doing is time after time after time, whatever test is thrown at him, he keeps succeeding. He stays faithful. One of the tests was, is he going to keep his faith even though it's against the culture he's in? against the school system that he's in? Is he going to stay faithful to God 
even though everybody around him doesn't believe. It's hard sometimes for someone to stay faithful to God when all their friends aren't. But he won that test. Now God's testing him in a more serious way to do something that's impossible. How can I do the impossible? The word impossible means it can't be done. Let's look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. In the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had a recurring dream that frightened him so badly he couldn't sleep. So he called in all the magicians and the psychics and fortune tellers and astrologers and demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. Now remember, in their culture, their school system was about fortune telling, about astrology. It was the occult. That's what they trained people to do in school. So Daniel had to go through that same school system, and he didn't even believe all that crap. Is crap a bad word to say? He didn't believe all that stuff. So, but it is. It's, it's what I said. The king said, I keep having this dream, and it troubles me. Tell me what I've dreamed, and then tell the meaning. He didn't say, tell me the meaning of the dream. He's not saying, let me tell you the dream, and then you interpret it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to them, tell me the dream. Like, if you're really a psychic, then you tell me what I dreamed, and then tell me the meaning. You know, because if I tell you what I dreamed, you'll just make up an answer. If you're really a psychic, have you noticed that no psychics have ever won the lottery? (laughs) What does that tell you? If you believe in a psychic, they don't ever win the lottery because they don't know. They don't know what's going to happen in the future. Tell me what I've dreamed, then tell me what it means. The, the astrologers answered, okay, tell us your dream, and we'll tell you what it means. But the king said, no, no way. If you can't tell me what I dreamed, why should I trust your interpretation? You need to be able to tell me the dream itself. If you can't tell me what I've dreamed, you're just a bunch of fakes with no real power or wisdom. Then all the king's fortune tellers said, nobody anywhere can do what you ask. And no king in history has ever demanded anything like this from any magician or medium or astrologer. What you're asking us to do is impossible. That made Nebuchadnezzar furious, and he said, I'm dead serious. If you can't tell me what my dream was, I'm going to have you so-called wise men tortured and executed. Then I'll have all your houses demolished into rubble. The advisors begged, just tell us your dream. Then we'll interpret it. But the king said, no, you are all condemned as worthless. And he issued a decree to execute all of his royal advisors, including Daniel and his three friends, because they were part of the people that went through that training system to be these great leaders. They're part of the group. They're all going to be killed. This is a major crisis that they're going through. The dream is going to be about the future. The dream is going to be about the future. And before I go into what Daniel did in this impossible situation, I want to talk a little bit about that. The dream is about future, the future. What does God say about predicting the future? What does he say about that? In your notes, no one knows the future. You can write that in. No one knows the future. There might be some people out there that say, let me read your palm or the horoscopes and these type of things, the Bible says no one knows the future. Don't believe that stuff. No psychic, no fortune teller, no medium, no astrologist. Nobody except God knows the future. 
If you're following after these other things, you're being fooled. Look at Ecclesiastes 8, 7. No one can tell the future. You say, well, I, I know this guy. I know, you know. No one can tell the future. Why didn't any of them predict 9-11? Because no one can tell the future. Why didn't any of them predict the attack on Pearl Harbor? Because nobody can tell the future. They don't. It's a lie. Look at Ecclesiastes 10, 14. Fools claim to know the future and love to tell anybody who listens. Don't be one of those people that listen to that. But no one knows what's going to happen. So the Bible makes it very clear. No one knows what's going to happen. You can't trust those guys. Number two, all psychics and mediums are frauds and fakes. They all are. The Bible is very strong against this type of stuff. 100%. You know, they're all, they're all fakes. Isaiah 44, 25, God said, I make fools of psychics and fortune tellers, and I frustrate the predictions of astrologers. Their wisdom is foolishness. So it's foolish to follow that type of stuff. Leviticus 19.31, do not rely on medians and psychics, for you will be defiled by them. I, the Lord, am your God. You say, how can I be defiled by them? Because if you believe what they say, you're going to follow what they say, even if it contradicts what God wants you to do. Okay? You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and false gods. Because God's going to say this and you're going to do something else. They're not all leading to the right, same path. Leviticus 26, God says, I'm against anyone. That's, he's talking to, about us this time. He's not talking about the people that are doing it. He's saying, I'm against anyone who goes to mediums or fortune tellers for advice. Because that person is being unfaithful to me. God is saying, you're unfaithful to me when you're turning to them instead of turning to God. So I will cut them off. He's saying, they're not a part of my people. If they're, you worship God or not. It's like the Bible talks about how I wish you were either hot or cold. But the guy riding the fence who's lukewarm, you know, he says, I spit you out of my mouth. What that literally means is it makes me sick to the stomach and I vomit it out. And God is talking to us. He's saying, some people know, well, I just don't believe God. Boom. He said, well, they don't. And some people know, I believe God. But he says the ones that make him sick to his stomach are the ones that are riding the fence. They're halfway with God, but halfway with something else. He said, make a decision. It makes me sick when you ride the fence. Make a decision. And he's saying, go for God. You can't be a halfway. Number three, the test of a true prophet is 100% accuracy. In the Bible, when it says, how do you know if someone's a real prophet? They're always right. Here's Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22. If you want to know if a prophet's message is really from God, here's how to test him. If any part doesn't come true, that prophecy is false and not from God. Because if it was from God, all of it would come true. He was presumptuously speaking his own ideas, and you should pay him no attention nor fear him. If someone's going to say, this is going to happen, and they get it wrong, that's a sign that they didn't know. That it's not from God. Isaiah 8, 20. Check their predictions against my word, says the Lord. If their predictions are different from my word, it is because there is no light or truth in them. So, for example, if a psychic is encouraging you to do something that the Bible tells you not to do, then you know it's from, not from God. I mean, it's clear cut. If the Bible says, do this, the psychic says, do that, 
It can't be from God. Because God's not going to tell you to, that you have a choice in that matter. He's already said one way. So if it contradicts the Bible, you know this isn't from God. What Nebuchadnezzar did was really wise. You guys say that you know the future. Well, then tell me what my dream is. It's, it's like I was saying. They don't really know the future. None of them predict really what's going to happen. They just ask you leading questions and make up stories, and some people are suckers, and we even give them money and believe that stuff. And the Bible is saying you're foolish if you do that. It's not me. It's the Bible that says you're foolish if you do that. Don't, don't go there. So what to do when you're asked to do the impossible? He's in the situation where they're going to kill him. What is he going to do? How is he going to tell the king his dream? You know, he doesn't know what he dreamed. If you came to me and said, Jimmy, tell me my dream. I'd say, I don't know your dream. How can I know your dream? Only God can tell you that. Why? Because I know that psychics aren't real. I know that psychics, I know it's all fake. That's why I know only God can tell you that. Because God's real, but psychics aren't. I can't because I'm not a psychic, because psychics aren't real anyway. So number one, the first thing he did is don't panic or be afraid. Daniel had real reason to panic. He had real reason to be afraid. Look at verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, okay, he had real reason to be afraid, right? Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He's only 17 years old, and he's handling things with wisdom and discretion. That's pretty impressive for a young man. It goes back to what we were saying a few weeks ago about his parenting, about Mother's Day. Apparently, this guy had good parents. Apparently, this guy had a mom that was involved in his life, teaching him, training him, probably the dad doing as well, because when they went in this environment, they tried to reprogram these people. They taught them a new language, a new culture. They weren't even supposed to eat the food they used to eat. I mean, it was a reprogramming, sort of like I said Nazi Germany back when they would take the kids and try to train them how to be Nazis at an early age on. So they were young enough that you can kind of brainwash them a bit and have them believe something that later on they know like, oh, that was bad. But in the time when you're a kid, it's easy to get you that way. That's what they were doing with these guys. They were brainwashing them, trying to get them to be Babylonians and not be Jews anymore. But he hung on to his Jewish faith anyway. And he knew what the Jews believed, which meant he was studied. He was studied. Apparently, his parents did a really good job. I bet you Daniel had a really solid mom for him to end up in this direction that he was in. But now he's 17. He's been taken away from his parents. He's never going to see them again. They're left behind. He's taken away from them. So it's a hard situation. They remove him from his parents. They don't remove his parents' influence from him. That's a good job at being a mom. If they remove your kids from you, but you've trained them so well, they might take me away from mom, but they haven't taken mom away from me. I still remember what she taught me. I'm still on a stable right path no matter what they've done to separate me from her. And that's what happened. That's the type of guy he was. That's the type of parenting he had. So maybe you're panicked about a job opportunity, about a job problem, about a financial situation. Maybe something with your health. 
Maybe something about your marriage or your future or a dream that you have. No matter what it is, realize the key thing that helped Daniel was to first keep his calm. The first step I need to do is keep my calm. Because if I don't do that, I'm not going to head in the right direction. They're going to kill me. First thing I need to do is keep my calm. Don't panic. I need to settle down and think this through. Panicking is not going to head you in the right direction. Number two, ask why. Get all the facts you can behind this. Like, why is he going to do this? Why all of a sudden he's going to kill us? It doesn't make sense. Nebuchadnezzar was afraid, it says. He was so afraid of this dream that he was seeing, whatever it did, it frightened him so much that he was reacting out of emotion. It's an unstable decision to say, okay, I'm going to kill you all because you can't tell me in my dream. You know, that's an unstable decision to make. Sometimes when your boss comes in and your boss is too demanding and asking you to do something impossible, sometimes it's because they feel like their job's on the line. So they're stressed out like, oh, my boss told me this is going to happen to me if I don't get this together. So now I'm really hard on you guys and expecting the impossible on you because I'm trying to save my butt. I don't want to get fired, right? I don't want to lose my job. So I'm really being hard on you. So sometimes you just have to ask, why is my boss acting this way? Then when you find out the truth behind it, oh, because they're afraid of losing their job. And what I mean by that is this. You go to your boss and you say, why are you acting like this? What's going on? Why are you trying to get us to do something that's impossible, that you don't give us enough time? What's really going on? Tell us what's going on. And then he might say, our jobs are on the line. Or I've been told that they're going to shut down this department if, it, if they don't see it. And then you understand, okay, I understand. We're with you on this. But asking why, once you know why, it, it helps you to think through better solutions of what's going on. The most important thing isn't to get a fast decision. The most important thing is to make the right decision. So you have to you know, take your time. In Daniel 2.15, it says, Daniel asked the king's captain, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Ariok told him all that had happened. In Proverbs 23, 23, it says, get the facts at any price. So he, he asked why. Get the information that you need. Then number three in your notes, ask for time to create a solution. You can write that down. Ask for time to create a solution. You need to ask for time. You know, you need to be patient and say, Give us some time to see if we can work this out. Give me some time to uh, work on the solution that you're having going on with that business. Look at what happened with Daniel in 2.16. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time so he could interpret the meaning of the dream for the king. He went to the king and requested more time. You're going to kill us. So it takes courage to go to the king face to face. But think about it. He's going to kill you anyway, right? You go in face to face, it kills you. He's going to kill you anyway. So you have to have a little courage and a little backbone, and you have to go face him. <clears throat> you don't go to the messenger. Go straight to the boss. Go straight to the boss. Don't work out with the messenger. He doesn't make the decision anyway. Like, why is he doing this? And then try to work out a deal with him. He's not the decision maker. You go straight to the boss, you know, and say, well, what's going on? You know, why, why is this happening? Get time. 
ask her, give us some time to work this out. I know what you want. Give us some time. Maybe there is an answer. I know that you're afraid. I know you really want an answer. Give us some time. You can circle the, wor- the words, he went at once. He went at once. Straight to the king. This is something that you can't procrastinate on. Go straight to the boss. If you don't go straight to the boss, maybe you'll lose your job. Maybe he's about to make that decision right now. Go straight to him. Have some backbone. Talk to him. Give us some time to work out this deal. Maybe you can work out it and talk by talking to him directly. He might postpone firing you or letting go of that section of the company just because you've confronted him face-to-face and said, give us some time. What do you need? Let us work on this. We think we can do this. Procrastination never th- makes things better. It always makes things worse. You know how they say uh, time heals? Well, let me tell you what. You go to the doctor and they say, you've got cancer. And you say, don't worry, time heals. No. You better get treatment immediately. Because time does not heal. You've got to get the treatment now. Because maybe if you don't, it's going to be too late. So don't think time heals. Uh, Sometimes time kills. So you have to be careful about that. You don't procrastinate. You face it head on. The number four, enlist prayer support from your friends. That's the first thing Daniel did. He's in this situation. He's in a crisis. At this point, it's going to cost him his life. He goes to those friends of his, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego, and he seeks prayer from them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names. Their names are changed. In this verse, you hear their Jewish names, Daniel 2, 17 and 18. Then Daniel went home and told his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. Then he said, pray that the God who rules from heaven will be merciful and explain this mystery so that we and the other advisors won't be put to death. So for number four, in this prayer support from your friends, he went straight to his friends to get prayer. If you're in a crisis, do you have friends that pray for you? You need spiritual friends that pray for you. You need friends that you know if you're in trouble that you can call on them and they're praying for you. It doesn't have to be 100 people, but everybody needs to at least have four or five friends that if they're in a bind, they know if they turn to that person, that person's going to pray for them. You need that handful of friends. If you say, if I got in a crisis, I don't know if I have any close friends I can turn to that would pray for me then develop those friendships. Develop those friendships. Don't wait till you're in that crisis and then say, I don't have anybody that will pray for me. (laughs) Build those friendships ahead of time so when you're in that crisis, you have people that will pray for you. You need those people. God works through the power of prayer. Over and over in Scripture, there's things, two or three gathered together in my name. Anything you ask, it will be given. That's people coming together, praying. The group of people in the book of Acts were praying for Peter, and he's miraculously released from prison through their praying. They were praying, and God was doing it as they were praying, and they didn't know it. In fact, they're praying in faith that God's going to release him from prison. When he comes knocking on the door, and they see that it's him, they can't believe it's him. <laughs> they're praying, praying, praying in faith, and then when it happens, they don't believe it. Kind of funny, huh? You know, because we can say, God, you know, I know you can do this. I believe you. And then we see it happening and we don't believe it. 
And that's exactly what they did. But there's power in prayer. There's something about people praying together. Notice how the scripture didn't say, when one of you stands praying alone, ask anything in my name and it will be given. It says, when two or three gather together in my name. What's it saying? It's saying, for whatever spiritual reason, which I don't understand why, but for whatever spiritual reason, God is saying collective prayer is where the power is. Collective prayer is where the power is. So I need to have friends that will pray with me on it. I can't stand alone. Number five, pray and expect God to give supernatural help. Pray and expect God to give supernatural help. When you're facing an impossible situation, pray and expect God to give you that help. Like, that's what faith is. I'm believing that God has an answer. I'm going to rely on him for his help because I don't have the power to know the answer to this. There are some things that my logic can't figure out. My wisdom can't figure out. My talent can't do. There's certain things that I just can't pull it off. I don't have the money to do it. I don't have the help to do it. I don't have the connections or the education or the answers or the ideas to do it. There are certain things that the reality is it's impossible. I just cannot pull that off. That's why I need God. That's why I need God. I need faith in him. I need to expect, God, I can't do it, but you can. There's no way I can reach that goal, but you can. So I've got to put my full trust in him and not in myself. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, God says, Call to me and I'll answer you and I'll show you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. There are some things that are marvelous. There are things that are wonderful, but I just can't figure it out on my own. But when I call on God, he can help me. I'm just not big enough to know. I just can't handle it, but he can. So I'm trusting him. I'm relying on him to figure out things that I just can't figure out. There's over 20 times in the New Testament that God says, ask and it will be given to you. I wonder how many things would God have given us over the years, for example, if we would have just asked him? I don't know. I wonder if there's things that God would have given you if you would have just spent the time to ask. Because over 20 times it says, ask, ask, which tells me God wants to probably give us some things that we just never ask him for it. Usually we're asking for the wrong thing. We're asking for a bigger car, a bigger house. A bi- you know what I mean? We're asking for the wrong things. But what type of things do they ask for in the Bible? Wisdom. God, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Give me understanding. Sometimes what we ask for reveals our priorities. And don't you think if you received wisdom you're probably more apt to get those other things because now you have the wisdom to do it anyway. You know, God could give you some things and you'd end up losing them. In James 1, 5 through 7, if you need wisdom, ask God and he will gladly give it to you. He won't resent your asking. But when you ask him, be sure that you expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So what do you do if, if you're praying about something that you don't expect God to do? What do you do? 
Stop praying for that and spend your time praying for something that you do expect God to do. I think a lot of the reasons when we're praying we don't expect God to do it is deep in our hearts. Maybe we know it's a wrong prayer to begin with. Maybe we know it's a selfish prayer to begin with. Where it says pray expecting God to do it, so pick and choose your prayers based on things that you expect God to do. Okay, I do expect God to do this, so I can pray with this in faith. You know, I'm going to pray and believe. Why not use your time in prayer praying for things that you believe God wants to achieve? I do believe God wants to do this. Spend your time praying for that type of stuff. And faith is also thanking God in advance. It takes no faith to thank God afterwards. That's gratitude. Thank you, God. Gratitude's good, right? But it, it takes no faith. It's just gratitude. That means, hey, God, I'm thankful. That's, that's good to do. But it takes faith to thank God before it happens. God wants you to have faith and gratitude. Before it happens, you're praying, God, I believe you want this. Thank you for making it happen. That takes faith because it hasn't happened yet. And then after it happens, you say, thank you for letting it happen. That take, that's gratitude. God wants both. Number six, worship God. Worship God. People think worship is singing at church. That's one way to worship. It's one of the ways. But worship means like focusing on God, giving him your attention. That's worship. Expressing my love to God. That's worship. You can worship God here at church. You can worship God in your car. You can be driving and praising God and loving God. You can do it at home. You can be at a campsite and sit around and think, man, God did this. And you start loving God and praising him and thanking him. Worship is something that can happen anywhere that you're at. It doesn't have to happen at church. It's more than just singing. That's just one of the ways that we worship. It's, a, it's one of the main ways that we worship in a church setting. But realize, you can praise God once you leave the building. You know, my hope is that you praise God after you leave the building, not just inside the walls of a church. So worship is when I get my focus off my problems and I get my focus onto God who solves the problems. When I get my focus off of what's got me scared and my focus on the solution, which is the Lord, it's looking at God who can handle the problems. In Daniel 2.19, it says, During the night, God revealed and explained the mystery of the dream to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Circle the word praised. This passage uh, shows us how to pray in this crisis situation. First, he praises God for who he is. God, you know, you're loving, you're kind, you're gracious, you're powerful, you're faithful, you're forgiving. You praise God for who he is, for the way he is, for his attributes, for his nature, for his character. Look at Daniel 2.19b-20. through 20. Then Daniel praised God, saying, Oh God, your name will be praised forever and ever. You are all-powerful and you know everything. Circle your name. Why is he praising his name? Because his name re represents who he is. That's his character. You know, his name represents everything about him. That's why they're saying praise his name. And honor God for what he's done, for the actions that he's already done. Like when you're praying, it's like, I remember you did this in the past, so I know you can do this in the future. You, you think about what he's already done. Daniel says, 
You control human events. You give rulers their power and you take it away. You are the source of wisdom and knowledge. You explain deep mysteries because even the dark is light to you. You are the God worshipped by my ancestors. God, you can see what I can't see. You can hear what I can't hear. You know what I don't know. He's honoring God for what he's done. And then thank God for helping me. Look at Daniel here in 23, verse 23. Now I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what I asked for and revealed to me what the king demanded. Thank God for what he's done for you in the past. Thank God for what he's doing right now. Thank God for what he's going to do in the future. And you're constantly thanking him. But to thank God for the future, you have to have faith. Number seven in your notes, use what God shows me to save others. Use what God shows me to save others. Because this is more than just Daniel saving his own life. If Daniel can get this message from God of what the king dreamed and what the meaning is, he's not just saving his life, he's saving the lives of other people. And God's saying, I want to work in your life. You know why? Because it's bigger than you. I don't want to work it in your life so that you get all the glory. And everybody thinks, Jimmy or whoever you are, you're, you're so awesome. Look at what you did. God says, I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm working in your life for the sake of other people, for the sake of other people. If it was just to save Daniel's life, one life. I'm not saying that's not important. It is. But God said, it's bigger than that. You're going to save a lot of people's lives. So God's interested in more than just you. So I'm praying about the situation at work because it's not going to just save my job, but there's 20 people that won't lose their job if we can come up with a solution. You're not just thinking about me, 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 me. You're thinking about the other people there. You know, this could help so many other people. Use what God shows me to save other people. That's the type of heart that God wants you to have because it says in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't just about God loves you, even though that's an important part. You need to feel like God loves me. But for God so loved the world, you need to understand God loves everybody. So it's more than just me. I want to help other people. I want their job saved and that person's job saved. I don't want, their, I don't want my family to have to suffer through this job loss, and I don't want their families to have to suffer through the job loss. Let's come up with a solution. It's always about other people other than just me. Daniel 2, 24 then Daniel rushed to see Arioch, who'd been ordered to execute all the king's advisors. He said, call off the execution and take me to the king, and I'll explain the meaning of this dream. He had prayed about it, and God had given them the meaning. In verse 25 and 26, then Arioch rushed Daniel to the king, and he said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who can tell you your dream and the meaning of it. The king asked Daniel, is it true can you tell me my dream and also what it means? So as he and his friends are praying about it all night long, God revealed to him what the guy dreamed and what it was. Why? Because God knows the future. God knows these things. It's God who you can rely on. Number eight, point people to God. Point people to God. Because Daniel knew that it was God that gave him the insight. So he didn't take the glory. He didn't say, I'm Daniel, the great psychic. Look at what I can do. He said, I'm Daniel, just a regular guy just like you. And yet God told me this. 
It was nothing about him. It's all about God. I don't have the ability to do this. No psychic does. No astrologer does because that's all foolishness. But God can tell you. God can work, and then he gets the glory because God's the one that works. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 through 30, Daniel replied, No wise man or psychic or fortune teller or astrologer can explain the mysteries of your dream. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has chosen to show you what will happen in the future. And now God has revealed this mystery to me, not because I'm smarter than everybody else. It's not about me. But for your benefit, so that you, O king, may understand it. He's saying, I'm not smarter than everybody else. It's a God thing. It's not psychics. It's a God thing. God can give us the answer. Let's look at him. He knows what's going on. And then he goes on to tell him his dream. Told him what he dreamed and told him what it meant. Maybe you're in a crisis, you know, and you're thinking, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? Follow these points. Look at what Daniel did. Follow what God's already showed us in God's word and apply it to your situation. In the dream, it's a dream about the future. And in a dream, he sees this huge statue. The head is made out of gold. The torso and thighs are silver. The legs are bronze. And then, uh, no, the upper, the upper body is silver. The torso and thighs are bronze. The legs are iron. The feet are clay mixed with iron. He sees this giant boulder cut out of a mountain. It comes out rolling, and it crashes into the feet of this giant statue. And because the feet are made out of clay mixed with iron, that's a weak part of the statue. So it demolishes the feet. They shatter, which means the whole thing comes down, and it crashes. And the way it was done in a dream, it was a, it was a scary experience, the way it looked to the guy. It was, it was really frightening. So he's thinking, what is this? And then that same boulder that crashes into it grows into a giant mountain, and it's all over the earth. He's saying, what in the world is this? It wouldn't bother him if he dreamed it one time. He was dreaming it over and over and over again. Why am I dreaming the same thing? Are the gods trying to tell me something? You know, what's really going on here? What was happening is Daniel told him what it meant. The gold head, that's the Babylonian kingdom. That's a kingdom that was there. After that, the next kingdom is going to be silver, and that's the Persian empire that came right next. Gold is more expensive than silver, so the, the uh, Persian empire is not going to be as great as the Babylonian power. Sure enough, the Persians did come in and conquer him um, a few years later. Then after that, the next uh, one is going to be Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire. And even though that was a few, like a long time before the Persian, like the Persian uh, Empire is going to last a while before the Greeks come in and take it over, but that's going to be the next world power. And that was the one in bronze. Iron was the strongest thing. The next uh, kingdom that's going to come after that was the Romans. Okay, so he knows all this before it's happening. And if you look at when in history when this was written, this is written like 500 years before Jesus came. This is written like uh, during the Babylonian, before Persia had ever conquered them. So it's all written out there telling exactly what's going to happen. The boulder is God's kingdom, which we call the church. Do you know that? The boulder crashes it, and what's happening is saying the church of God, God's kingdom, 
everything is going to demolish every other kingdom. It's the only one that's going to be left standing. Every kingdom in the world, it's saying, is going to fall, fall, fall. But in that last one, it says the feet that are iron mixed with clay, what it's saying is the Roman government is going to start getting weak. It's going to have some strong parts. It's going to have some weak points, and it's going to fall. And it's during that time that the boulder comes, which represents God and his kingdom. And it's saying every kingdom that comes, you're going to see this great kingdom, Babylon, but it's going to end. You're going to get this great kingdom of Persia, but it's going to end. You're going to have Alexander the Great and the Greeks, and it's going to end. And then you're going to even have the most powerful kingdom that you guys could ever imagine, the Roman Empire, and even it's going to end. But when God brings Jesus to earth and he starts his kingdom, the church, the church is going to last forever. The church is going to go throughout the whole world and it's going to last forever. And it has. There's churches in every country of the world. You know, there's uh, people of God everywhere. There's people following the Bible wherever you turn. And it says, you can see Rome fall. You can see America fall. One day, America is going to fall. No kingdom lasts forever. But it's saying, what's not going to fall is the church. The church is not going to fall. It's been established by God, and that kingdom is going to stay forever and ever and ever. And eventually, because the church is really the people, it's not a building, eventually, we, the church, the people of God, are going to be with God forever. The church is just like a country. A country is not a piece of land. It's the people in that, you know. We're the church. It's the people. And it's saying the church of God is going to last forever. Let's see what he, how he responds to this. In Daniel 2, 46 and 47, then King Nebuchadnezzar bowed to the ground before Daniel and he worshiped him. He, start wor- he starts worshiping Daniel. He doesn't quite get it yet. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifice and burn sweet incense before him because he doesn't know. He's, he's thinking like a pagan king. Then the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord over kings. He's a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. Then in verse 48 and 49, it says, then the king promoted Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the province of Babylon at the age of 17 years old. He makes him the mayor. How odd is that? You know, a 17-year-old guy, he's only 17 years old, but I'm so impressed by him, him, I'm going to make him the mayor of the town. That's what happens. It's an amazing story of what God did in the life of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar dies a believer in the God of the Bible. I don't know if you guys know that. He dies a believer, believer and a worshiper of the God in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Daniel goes to this pagan country people that don't even believe anything about God and holiness or anything. And now the leader believes in the God of the Bible. You don't know how God's going to use your life when you're faithful to him. When you're in an impossible situation, you don't know what the solution is going to be, but you trust God, you pray about it, you give it to him. I'm going to tell you, so many times God works out these impossible situations. If you're open to sharing with people, it was God. I prayed, and this is what worked out. It influences people to the right direction. I don't want people to be influenced to thinking I'm great when it really wasn't me. There are some things I do, and God gave me the ability to do it. But there are some things that were just God. I think, man, he did it. 
and be willing to be a voice for that because people need to know that God is still alive and active in this world because they don't know. They're far removed from God. What's impossible in your life? What are you panicking about? What keeps you awake at night? Is it debt? Maybe you don't have a job right now. You know, maybe it's like, when am I ever going to get married? Or when am I ever going to have a child? Or when is this dream ever going to come true? Or when am I ever going to finish school? Or whatever it is. What is it that has you stressed? To you, it might feel like it's an impossible problem. There's no way I can get there. It's just giant. How am I going to handle this? I encourage you to take the same eight steps that Daniel took, follow his example, and watch how he can take something that seems so impossible and work it out. God's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your fears. If you trust him, he'll do the difference. But don't turn to something that's not God. Don't do it. Don't turn to astrology or something else. Don't do it. If you want the right answer, you've got to turn to God. God's the only place that you're going to really get what you're looking for. Let's pray. Dear God, we know that nobody knows the future except you. Lord, we're done looking to other people for that. We want to look to you and seek you for our problems. When we're panicked, we want to turn to you and rely on you. We want to spend our time reading the Bible and learning what you have to say about it. We want to pray about it and get our friends praying. We want that support. Lord, we understand that it's your supernatural help that we need. And we want to worship you. Even when we don't see the answer yet, we want to thank you in advance. We want to live by faith. Lord, we want to honor you with our life. It's in Jesus' name that we make these commitments. Amen.